I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. This morning we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. It was difficult to make the decision on where to, to stop this passage. Um, the way that Ecclesiastes is written and designed, there are not um, as often very clear delineations within the text. Uh, in fact, if you look at 12 different commentaries, they'll provide you 23 different outlines um, where you have guys who can't even agree with themselves on where the outline is. And with this text in particular, verses 16 through 22, which is the end of chapter 3, it is connected to verses 1 through 15, but it is also connected to chapter 4. And I think it's more clearly connected to chapter 4. Uh, it's, it's a transition uh, section, and so I've decided to wait and to deal with that uh, in conjunction with chapter 4. So we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Uh, quite often, uh, many of you probably have been to a funeral and heard the first eight verses, um, which is a very famous poem uh, that you can hear read uh, even at the funeral of an unbeliever, uh, people who don't believe the Bible. They'll read the poem. Um, but it is absolutely essential that we do not disconnect the poem from uh, verses 9 through 15. Uh, so that we're going to take it together and, and allow uh, the poem to speak, Lord willing, and then also allow God to help us uh, put the poem into perspective uh, as we look at verses 9 through 15, holding this together. Now, the other thing that I want you to do is as we read this text this morning, I want you to remember what we just read in Galatians 4 of what uh, was our condition as slaves to the elementary principles of this life, but in the fullness of time, Christ has come. Uh, keep that uh, in the forefront of your mind as you listen to these words from Ecclesiastes. The title this morning is A Season for Everything, Even the Fullness of Time. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a, a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning. We always need your help when when you are speaking to us through your word. We need your help to hear you well. We need your help to listen. We especially need your help, Lord, to be teachable. That is particularly challenging sometimes, Lord, when when we are dealing with a passage that we have heard or have even read ourselves quite frequently. And so help us, Lord, to be able to calm uh, our hearts and our minds so that we can receive you as you are giving yourself to us uh, through the preaching of your word. Father, bless us as your people that we might be reformed and that we might continue to grow as your children who are loved by you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What Solomon has been putting before us in Ecclesiastes is the absolute certainty of death. But this certainty of death has not been put forward to be morbid. It's not a certainty that has been put forward to cause us to be sad or to cause us to lose hope. He has not set forward the certainty of death in order to give us the impression that life is meaningless, that life on this side of heaven or life under the sun doesn't have any meaning or purpose or rhyme or reason. Instead, what he has been trying to help us to see is that the natural inclinations that we have as people to chase after things to chase after possessions, to chase after relationships, to chase after status, to chase after one thing after the other within this life, that the chasing after these things is going to result with empty hands. It doesn't mean that these things are bad. And it doesn't mean that pursuing these things is bad. But if you are chasing after temporal things, thinking that they can be permanent, then you're going to end up with an empty hand. That way of living, Solomon has been telling us, is hevel. It is air. It is vapor. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. 
and those, those natural inclinations that we have in pursuing greatness, whether that greatness be through a relationship or whether it be through our job or through the accumulation of wealth or power or politics or whatever it may be, that is chasing after the wind. You may as well go outside and try to grab a hold of the wind because the chase, the pursuit is not going to fulfill what you think it's going to fulfill. Because at the end of the day, you will be dead. You will move on. The next generation will, will come behind you and the world will keep spinning. We do not have to engage in the chase is what I've been trying to say. Don't play pretend. You can't take the permanent things and turn them into something temporary. And you can't take temporary things and turn them into something permanent. It's striving after the wind. When something is going wrong in your relationship, you can't just pretend, well, let's pretend like things were back in our first year of marriage. You can't pretend that. What happened to those powerful emotions? Would you like to go back to that time? Maybe, but guess what? We can't. The desire is not wrong, but the desire can set you up for striving after the wind. We are here today we are gone tomorrow. Death puts an end to our striving. And so what we can do right now, today, is learn from that in giving up the striving today. We don't have to wait till we're dead to realize that our hands are empty. We can realize that today. And that realization is a blessing. It frees you up from chasing after the wind. All of our pursuits, all of our pleasures in this life are going to end in death. And so these are not where we look for our meaning and purpose. We, if we look for lasting joy and treasure in the things of this world apart from God, our hands will be empty when everything is said and done. It slips through our fingers. This doesn't mean, as we looked at last week, that there isn't meaning or purpose in life. It doesn't mean that there's not lasting joy and treasure. We just have to look for it in the right places. And the right place we are to look for it, Solomon tells us, is God's gifts. And God's gifts are simple. He gifts us with vocation. He gifts us with food and drink. Now, these aren't the only gifts. There are lots of different gifts. Relationship is, is one of the primary gifts that he gives us. Our God, all right, for those who are in my Sunday school class right now, okay, our God is a, we haven't gotten there yet, but I'm giving you a foretaste. Our God is a triune God. Our God is a God who has always existed in relationship. He has always existed in community. 
And one of the blessings that he gives us as his people is a participation in his community. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ on, on this side of Ecclesiastes, what we are drawn into is the relationship that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed for all eternity. And we don't enter in that as merely individuals. We enter into it as a church, as a corporate body. God provides gifts. And these temporary, earthly Simple gifts transport us to what is heavenly, to what is lasting, to what is permanent if we pursue those gifts the right way. Moments from now, we are going to receive a special gift from the Lord. And that is his presence and his power communicated to us through the simple, earthly, outward and ordinary bread and fruit of the vine. And that is a special presence and a special grace from God that empowers spiritual life. But what Solomon wants us to understand is that even apart from that special way in which we can taste of God's grace through created things, we can taste of God's goodness through earthly created things when we receive them as gifts that he's given us as conduits through which we go to him knowledge wisdom are incredibly valuable when they are used to know god better when they are used to know ourselves better when they are used to know our neighbors better Knowledge, wisdom, vocation, food, and drink. All of these things are blessings that God has given us that when we receive them for what they are, they become conduits to the permanent, to the, the timeless. But the reality is for us, if we're going to be wise in this life, we have to embrace the fact that life on this side of the heavenly places or life under the sun is not timeless. It has seasons. What do you expect life to be like? See, that's a really important question that every one of us is motivated by that we are not always consciously aware that that's the question we're trying to answer. We are driven by our expectations and our expectations that have been built upon what we want and what we desire. But if we are having our expectations established by anything other than God's truth and God's wisdom, we set ourselves up to live unwisely and to live unfulfilled. The times that we live in are times that are not timeless. And what this means for us is that our choices and our experiences are not limitless within this world. It also teaches us that we do not get to establish what those are going to be. We are like farmers that have to pay attention 
to the seasons. Farmers, based on the season, they know what they should plant. They know what they shouldn't plant. But even if you follow everything perfectly to the T in the farmer's almanac, and you plant the right thing for that particular season, are you guaranteed a yield? No. Do you see how that works? Yes, there are seasons. And with the seasons, they bring a certain set of conditions. And if we're going to live wisely as farmers, then we farm according to the conditions of the seasons. But even if we do that, we are not guaranteed a fruitful harvest. Why? Well, because sometimes it doesn't rain. Sometimes... It rains too much. Now, if you can wrap your head around that, now you're understanding the poem in verses 1 through 8. What what Solomon is doing with this poem in verses 1 through 8 is he is using the literary technique of a mirrorism. A mirrorism is when you take two things that are opposite from one another as a way of communicating totality. Right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. And guess what? There's a time for everything in between those two points. And what Solomon does in a genius way is he takes 28 pairs, 14, line, or 14 lines here that have 28 pairs where he contrasts one extreme to the other as a way of expressing totality in between those two points. And what he does in terms of the literary um, design of the poem is by using four sets of seven, is he is trying to help us to see that the information contained in this poem is all the information that we need if we're going to live according to the seasons of life. And he says this because he knows his own temptation, let alone our temptation, to live in such a way that contradicts the seasons. You see, if we're living according to the seasons of life, then guess what? The seasons, they set our expectations. Right? If we're living in summertime here in Georgia, we don't expect snow. Right? If we live here in Georgia during the winter, we pray that there's not snow. Because then we can't drive anywhere. But the seasons, they, they, they determine for us what are expectations that are reasonable and expectations that are not. And guess what? If you live here in Georgia in the summertime, if you expect for it to be cool and not humid and pleasant outside every day with no bugs, then you have expectations that people will look at you and probably say, you're crazy. And the simple answer will be, this is Georgia and it's summer. 
right? That establishes a whole lot of truth. It's Georgia. It's summer. What does that mean? Well, you should expect it to be hot. And you should expect it to be humid. You should expect lots of bugs. On the rare occasions that that doesn't happen, right? Everybody goes outside. But it's rare. You don't expect it. And so farmers, they have to let the seasons determine what they expect. But farmers also have to anticipate what? That things won't always go exactly according to the expectations. Right? Sometimes it doesn't rain. Sometimes it rains too much. And so a farmer has his expectations established by the season, and at the same time, the farmer engages with the season and with those expectations with an open hand, ready to adjust when things are not going according to what was expected. Sometimes the farmer's almanac is wrong. What does this look like for us in our lives? Well, it looks like this. What the poem is trying to help us to see is that there are all these various seasons that we have, that we're going to experience under the sun. And those experiences can be delightful, and those experiences can be disquieting. Now, What the poem also brilliantly portrays for us is that there is no clear indication as to when one will be one thing and when it'll be another. You see, birth can be both delightful and disquieting, depending on the circumstances. Death can be both delightful or disquieting based on the circumstances surrounding it. And every experience that you see listed in this poem is the same way. There is a time for peace. There is a time for war. And guess what? Sometimes that peace can be very delightful, and other times peace can be very disquieting. War can be very disquieting, and at, the, at other times when When evil is conquered and put down and people are liberated, it can also be a delight. But how do we determine when it's a time for peace or a time for war? How do we determine if it's a time to to kill or a time to heal? See, some of these things are clearly good and some of these things are clearly bad. And at the same time, there are circumstances that can change that can make what is clearly typically bad good. Now, do you feel confused yet? Because that's my goal here. Because that's life. Every one of us, when we go out into the world in this coming week, are going to have a certain set of expectations that are not going to be met. And a lot of times, those expectations are not met. Because what you want is not happening. What you think should be happening is not happening. 
And sometimes the things that are not going your way are because of decisions you've made. Quite often, they're because of decisions that others have made that are affecting you. Life is complicated, and it can be confusing, and there isn't this clear black and white path that we go down and live in such a way that if we can do X, Y, and Z every day, that we can get the, the good, the delightful parts of the poem, and that if we just do you know, one, two, and three, we can avoid the disquieting parts of the poem. It doesn't work that way. And wisdom embraces the realities that there are these different seasons and that in every season, conditions change. Sometimes there's too much rain. Sometimes there's no rain at all. And so the poem, which on the one hand, is very beautiful when you look at it in and of itself, comes to a screeching halt when the very words that Solomon says after this presentation of here's, there, here's what life is like. So be honest about it. Embrace it. Let your expectations be governed by the seasons. Immediately he goes from this into what profit is there for your toil? None. There are these seasons of life and we let the seasons determine our expectations and we let the fact that the seasons can change help us prepare for when things fluctuate, all right? But at the end of the day, we cannot do this perfectly in such a way as to guarantee us the delightful parts and to keep away from us the disquieting because the reality is this. There is only one person that can see things and know things well enough to be able to do that. And Solomon tells us it's God. You and I are created. He is the creator. You and I are dependent by nature. By nature, we have to live in response to the world that God has made. We have to live in response to the things that take place. He doesn't. He determines what takes place. He determines how things go. And ultimately, what we are called to be ready to, to uh, expect and to respond to is nothing less than God's providence in our lives. Where God will use his providence to bring us delightful times and he will bring us disquieting times because in both of them as we're talking about in the emotions class both are designed to take you and get you out of yourself and to come to him the disquieting and the delightful have the same design and that's to get you to let go of trying to control and to manipulate life and to rest and to receive what God is doing. God, Solomon tells us, has put eternity into our hearts. And what that means 
for sinners in this world under the sun is that our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in God. Tracy would tell you all about that from the life of Augustine. But that's where it is. He has put eternity into our hearts. But guess what Solomon tells us? We have this desire for eternity that's built into us because we're created in God's image and we're created for his purposes and he designed us for eternity. But with, when sin came into this world and came into our lives, what that has done, it has limited us. So our fact that we are created has limited us and the fact that we are following creation has limited us even more. And the reality is this. You and I have eternity set in our hearts, but we cannot see the beginning from the end. We cannot see the end from the beginning, Solomon tells us. We are limited. And every parent in here knows exactly what Solomon is trying to say. How many times as you have been parenting a child, whether the child is one or five or 12, Keep going. When the children are young and they're growing, that how often do they see life as it is? How often are they able to take in the world as it really is and, and to live from an experience that knows you know, how things tend to go? How, how many of them are able to know that, well, if they continue to do this thing, then like 10 years from now, Here's going to be the result in their lives, and it's going to be a negative result, or it's going to be a positive result if they're sowing something positive. See, we see that, and we see that because we've lived through it, and we see that uh, because we have uh, hopefully a little bit more maturity and a little bit more wisdom, and we're able to see more than what our child is able to see in the moment. And the result is we tell them, brush your teeth. And they're thinking, I don't want to. Why would I even anticipate having to go to the doctor in 20 years for a root canal? But that's the reality. You see, they don't see the end from the beginning. You see more of it than they do, and you're trying to, to help them even though they don't see it. And how do they respond? Well, sometimes they're very grateful. I've heard. <laughs> Quite often there's arguing. There's a questioning. But that's not what I want. I don't want life to be that way. I don't want life to have to be brushing my teeth every day to avoid something potentially negative 20 years from now. What I want is to be able to do this. That's not living according to the seasons. That is unwise by its very nature. But beloved, it's an illustration. The reality is adjusting to unmet expectations and living according to the seasons and not according to how we want the world to be is just as difficult for the elderly as it is for the young. And you and I bring into this place week after week a week's worth of unmet expectations. 
where we've had to deal with the world as it is because of decisions that others are making, not the ones we are making. And what Solomon reminds us of is this. You're going to have a desire for things to be different because God has built that desire into you as one created in his image. And yet you will not fully know the end from the beginning. And so what you do is you have to admit that you are not timeless. That you are not omniscient that we have to approach this world with the embracing of our limitations both as created and as those who still wrestle with sin and what that means for us is that life is not only positive life is not only negative it's going to be both and sometimes it'll be both at the same time. And so as we approach life, we approach it honestly, and we approach it with a level of teachability. So often as we engage, especially for the older, as we engage in life that we've been through a lot of experience, we tend to, to, to think that we have more under our belt than we actually do. We do have a level of wisdom that our children don't have. And at the same time, we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it perfect. And so we want to uh, inculcate it within ourselves, a teachability, that as we engage with these things in this world under the sun, that we recognize that under the sun, the weather can Moods, experiences, circumstances. And this changes how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves, and how we relate to one another. If you're laughing when it is a time for crying, then you're not living according to the seasons and you will hurt the person that you are with. You see, when you don't have your expectations met and then you try to force the world around you to, to, to reflect what you would desire, then you don't live according to the season and you tend to be very unwise, which tends to lead to you being hurt or one of your relationships. We are to live a life of simple trust in God, living according to the seasons. And we do this not only on the basis of what Solomon is trying to show us here within this beautiful poem in verses 1 through 8, but we do it as those who live on the other side of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, who are able to say that the seasons, as they have been put into place by God, and as the world uh, rolls along according to these seasons, that these seasons were never meant to be eternal. That the seasons themselves were not timeless. The seasons themselves are 
uh, under the constraints of time because God has provided his son, Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time to free us from these elementary principles by which the world, by which the seasons roll on. And the result is if you are in Christ by faith and by faith alone, yes, you still live in a world where you experience all the different experiences that are in this poem, but you do so as one who is not a slave to them. You do so as one who has been lifted up and exalted to the right hand of God in Jesus Christ, where as a son and daughter of God, you still go through it, but you go through it as one who knows where all of these things are headed. Is there any better reason to entrust ourselves to the care of our eternal Father than the love that excels all other loves that he has shown us by sending his Son into this world to experience the things that are in this poem, to be one who had the intermixture of delight and disquiet within his own experience as he perfectly lived in obedience to his Father as an expression of his love for us, that he would experience what we experience in order to be victorious over these things and to bring these seasons to an end. Beloved, we are waiting for the fullness of that end to be revealed. And until it is, we will still go through the experiences. But we do so with a Savior who has experienced these same things. And knowing what we go through prays for us on a moment-by-moment basis that we would be strengthened to endure and to go along in the strength that he provides which is not a strength that we can drum up from within ourselves. It is a strength that only comes when we entrust ourselves to the Eternal One who forever mediates a righteousness for us so that in Jesus Christ, as we go through the seasons, we do so not as slaves, but as sons. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you can help us to be honest about our existence in this world, that we don't have to hide the negative, we don't have to be fearful of it, we don't have to be controlled by it, but Lord, it is scary to entrust ourselves to you. We so often prefer to entrust ourselves to ourselves. We trust our knowledge. We trust our wisdom. We we trust our thoughts. We trust our experiences. Lord, help us instead to entrust ourselves to you. And so, Father, use your word and use your sacrament within our lives to embrace the seasons for what they are and to do so with an open hand by which we might not only be honest but be teachable 
And may we ever look to, the, to you as our teacher and to your wisdom as it has come to us, not only through your word, but embodied by your Son. Father, make us wise that we may live to your glory and serve for the reflection and for the continuance of your kingdom. For we pray this in Jesus' name.